2: Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Doctor J.
0: Hey guys, Happy Valentine's, Doctor Santos here, your doctor of pediatrics and research, and sometimes of love.
2: Is that how you refer to infectious disease now? I'm the doctor of love. <laughs>
0: appropriate, no, no, no. appropriate,
2: <laughs> but a weird flex. Is it- <laughs>
0: I don't know how the two go together. See, like there's some fields, urology, obstetrics and gynecology that can do like uh, endocrinology actually can do Dr. Love. But like I'm pretty far away from Dr. Love because I end up being like the bad consequences of love (laughs) on occasion. Um, I will say that uh in a very, very dark moment, one of my mentors gave me a great piece of advice, put a hand on my shoulder at the end of rounds, and he said, Remember, Santosh, unlike love, herpes is forever. And then walked away. <laughs> yeah. So I guess. Making sad sense, doctor
2: noises. <laughs> well, Doctor Love. We've got we have another one of our holiday specials today. It is time mm. for the annual Valentine's episode. I say annual, even though I'm not bothering to check our backlog to see if we did one of these <laughs> last year, but we've done them in the past. I'm
0: almost certain that we did. And I am also forgetting what topic we covered <laughs> broadly. Listen, almost certain. <laughs> yeah, go We've ahead, been go around
2: ahead. for eight years. We've probably done it. So the question is, what will be the topic of this year's Valentine episode? Mm. Well, before we get into the proper topic, I, I wanted to bring up a study that my, my brother sent to me because he knows right. I live for this kind of ridiculous thing. I'm going to ask, are you familiar with the citrus fruit lime? Yeah, Often of course. used in often used in pie, you know, key lime pie. Mm-hmm.
0: As absolutely. in the Florida
2: Keys, one of the highest uh sexually trans infectious yeah. <laughs> areas <laughs> yeah. I recall See, from your from your fellowship.
0: Ab- absolutely is yeah, the the Florida Keys is oftentimes the king of herpes. Um on in in the United States, uh sometimes, sometimes there are other places that take the crown, but right. it's usually up there in the top five.
2: A new study has claimed that combining a squeeze of lime yeah, okay. with the popular men's assistance drug Viagra <laughs> okay. can quadruple the effects of the dose. Now, before you start throwing lime in your coconuts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. This feels like a horrible TikTok challenge. <laughs>
2: Please don't make it a TikTok challenge. <laughs> uh, but let's let's talk about the study. It was conducted by the Federal University of Technology in Akure, Nigeria. And okay. it consisted of giving impotent lab rats the drug by itself or with the juice of two limes. Uh, no word on whether or not that came in a little drink with an umbrella in it.
0: <laughs> did they give any rationale about this, Josh? About, like, why?
2: They did. They did, but that's not the fun part. I'm getting to that. Okay. 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 You know how science works. Results first, right?
0: (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. Okay. Okay.
2: So the rats given Viagra, which is uh, the brand version of Sildenafil, the rats given Mm -hmm. Viagra with lime juice, began having sex within 15 seconds, while the other rats, the control rats, who just got, you know, rat porn, and viagra took over a minute to get busy and the lime rats had sex with twice as many rats as their citrus-free counterparts
0: oh okay so
2: the reason according to the research the lime juice increases the levels of nitric oxide in the body leading to better blood flow to the organs And this shows a 70% rise in nitric oxide for the rats giving lime juice.
0: Okay. So we're using kind of synergistic uh, properties of of, uh, probably whatever's in the lime, ascorbic acid, I'm guessing. Right. So
2: the lime itself is not going to give you an erection, but it does increase (laughs) the potency of the Viagra and the rationale behind this is the academics involved say adding lime juice to Viagra could allow men to perform sexually within minutes instead of the usual half-hour minimum that the guidelines of the drug currently recommend. Okay. Uh, this was published right. in the Journal of Food Biochemistry by lead researcher Ayokunle Ademosin. I'm sure okay. I mispronounced that. I'm very sorry.
0: Very interesting. I, I <laughs> Okay okay gotcha so now it looks like when they were kind of going through you know even the abstract of this journal i guess there is precedence for using citrus so lemon or lime juices for the treatment of erectile dysfunction so i guess there was a little bit of you know uh clinical practice or non-clinical practice where they said, oh, this, you know, is used for erectile dysfunction. And then the sildenafil, of course, is used for erectile dysfunction. Let's put them together.
2: Well, so the the ironically amusing part of this study is I mentioned it was done in Nigeria, uh, Mm -hmm. which is the if not the true location, at least the Claimed location of many a spam email promising riches, penis enlargement, and a whole bunch of other things. And I thought starting off with a Nigerian study about the penis would be a great way to lead in to this year's theme, which is going to be, of course, erectile dysfunction and the many ways that we have come up with to (laughs) handle it. (laughs) Woohoo! Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So erectile dysfunction has been
0: re-engage your motor. I can't be right.
2: Sure. Why not? (laughs) So the very first accounts of, of erectile dysfunction treatment, I mean, I'm sure it's been documented all the way back to cave paintings. Mm. Uh,
0: Whoa, wait, 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 wait. Knowing what you love, Josh, ancient Egypt.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. It's in ancient Egypt, but I'm actually not okay. going to start there.
0: Oh, uh, okay, okay.
2: I'm actually going to take you to medieval Islamic physicians in the 8th okay. century BC.
0: All right. Uh, so Persopolis, Persia, that kind of a thing?
2: Mm-hmm. And they okay. tried uh, prayer, plants... Intra urethral treatments, which bold move in the eighth century.
0: <laughs> Wait, what do we know what they shoved up there? Do, do we don't want to know? We don't want
2: to know. <laughs> okay, uh, okay, they shoved a lot of things up there. They're like, well, maybe if we put the uh, sticks, actually, were you? I mean, very thin reeds, uh, sure.
0: sure. Oh, I just like almost like a splint. Yeah, i just okay, got it, got it. Okay.
2: Um, all of with limited success. And the treatment of erectile dysfunction has been of interest to physicians, well, since forever. <laughs> you, you
0: think that maybe a bunch of dudes who are thinking about health, it's like, well, we've made it to this age. What do we do now? Oh, uh, what do you care about?
2: <laughs> accounts accounts yeah. of erectile dysfunction appear in the Old Testament as well okay. as in sacred Hindu texts. Of course, of course. Hippocrates himself famously declared that being worried about business and unattractive women caused ED. Uh, oh, and, even, and even as recently as, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, being unattracted to, I guess, candy, if you're Tucker Carlson. Um,
0: <laughs> that was so the weird, lack, The
2: lack of high heels on an M&M.
0: Can also <laughs>
2: cause it? Sure. Why not? Yeah. Anyway.
0: <laughs> Melts in your mouth, not <laughs> Yeah, that, it was so weird. That was so weird. Moving on.
2: So there have been a wide variety of, of treatments, and we're going to get, uh, well, I would say progressively less weird with each successive century we cover, but that's probably not true. So let's start <laughs> with uh, one of the weirdest I discovered which is, Mm -hmm. of course, the use of a penile ring, um, or colloquially, a cock ring. Are you familiar with with how these are theorized to work? Uh,
0: Yes. Well, there's two of them that I know about and was introduced to when I was on my urology rotation how many ever moons ago. So the first one was actually... Uh, an extraction of a cock ring uh, which was a gentleman who was using one of those for uh, you know uh, well just to be very frank like kind of sadomasochistic kind of practices so actually producing you know pain or discomfort uh, in order to you know kind of go with his sexual arousal and Josh, that one resulted in priapism because it got stuck at the wrong area. So blood flow couldn't get out of the penis. So, you know, he had a horrible maintained direction and the the ring was there, this metal ring, and we had to find a way to extract it so that he didn't like we didn't have to amputate. That was super scary. The other one is used in conjunction with something we might talk about later, which is a penis pump where... You put, you, you put the pump over your penis and then pump the air out so that there's negative atmospheric pressure. So it's easier for your penis to fill up with blood. And then in order to block it from going backwards, there's usually an elastic or a rubber ring that you slide backwards from the pump onto the base of the penis so that it uh, maintains the erection that way, kind of mechanically. So those are the two that I know about.
2: So briefly, physiologically, an erection is simply caused by blood flowing into a piece of cartilage. Uh, so mm-hmm. your penis, your yep. ears, and your nose are all cartilaginous tissue, mm-hmm. which have blood the, that go into them.
0: Yeah. And the penile tissue, so like the, the, uh, the two bodies that are in there, because they're actually like a pair that run under, uh, I, I, can't, oh, I can't remember all the names. Is it corpus cavernosum?
2: Corpus cavernosum, corpus spongiosum, tunica albuginea. Yeah. It's there's a yeah. lot of great a- anatomy yeah. terms. They all sound Absolutely. like Harry. They all sound like Harry Potter like spells. Harry- Every <laughs> single bit of penile anatomy sounds like it belongs in a Harry Potter.
0: Spell. Yo, how many adolescents in hot? No, we won't go there right now. But it- <laughs> but. I, I'm so essentially it's specialized because you actually have valves which, if stimulated properly, they close off the return blood flow, so the venous blood flow, so that you have the arterial blood flow going in, it fills up all the capillaries and all those corpuses, and then you block off the return blood flow, the venous return, and then your the blood basically pools in your penis and it, it gets inflated.
2: Right. Um, yeah. So the way a cockering works is that if the valves for whatever reason are not working, and that could be due to injury from long-term diabetes, from cholesterol buildup, from poor circulation, from a variety of mechanical obstructions or trauma, any, any reason that prevents mm-hmm. blood from uh, remaining In the penile tissue, a cock ring basically kind of holds in place and closes off at the base of the penis, preventing blood flow from returning to the body and sort of leading to an enforced erection. So the very first documented use of these occurred in ancient China and the oldest, the oldest ring that uh, you can track down was made from the eyelid of goats, plural. Uh, Oh, with, with the eyelashes (laughs) still attached.
0: Oh, uh, (laughs) okay. Well, I, I, it kind of makes sense because eyelids are really elastic membranes. So I guess if you got the right caliber, like if you got the, um, the diameter correct, it could kind of snug around in the right place so that it would act like a rubber band before rubber was discovered.
2: And of course, goats were chosen because they are associated for whatever reason with being uh, rather randy. Oh, um, sure. Absolutely. So the flexible eyelid would be placed around the base of the erect member with the hardened mm-hmm. lashes said to increase the pleasure of intercourse. Uh, later, during the Ming Dynasty between 1368 and 1644, mm-hmm. the same rings were made out of jade or ivory or encrusted with jewels. Because why not a little bling bling for your ting ting? <laughs>
0: Oh, okay. So if you were kind of royal enough for this, I guess it would be uh, like you'd have, you know, the, the king's cockering or something like that.
2: All pretty and whatnot. I would watch that movie. No, I wouldn't.
0: <laughs> like on BBC.
2: <laughs> so Nick-
0: instead of like the like Game of Thrones. <laughs> But like no, instead of, of, of like instead of
2: like Downton Abbey, the king's yeah. cock ring, <laughs> the real crowd Ro- jewels,
0: <laughs> filmed live at the Royal Albert Hall. Yes.
2: Uh, so before we get into <laughs> many many immature jokes, it's only downhill from here. The let, let's talk a little bit about erectile dysfunction today. Yeah. It's estimated that as many as half of men between the ages of 40 to 70 – I like that they put 70 as the cutoff. Maybe at 72, you just don't care, or maybe <laughs> maybe there's another peak where all of a sudden, hey, it's my 72nd birthday. Woo-hoo! <laughs> uh, but – Statistics show about half of men between ages 40 to 70 experience some degree of dysfunction, either the inability to achieve or maintain an erection for the length of time preferred by the person attempting to achieve it.
0: Right. And the reason why it's such a high number, Josh, is because we're taking into account all of the various causes of erectile dysfunction and kind of the full full spectrum of disease too so it can go all the way from very minor and uh, all the way to very major and refractory to a lot of treatments and you can have everything from what do you say like purely psychological to hormonal to something that you brought up earlier on which is actually like actually vascular where you have damage to the blood vessels because of something like diabetes or peripheral vascular disease so because you're encompassing all of that uh, there can be a lot of reasons why you know it doesn't work
2: And depending on the particular reason why it doesn't work, will oftentimes indicate which specialist may be able to help you. Uh, Usually the first doctors to hear or learn about this problem tend to be the urologists, as they do tend to focus on male anatomy. Not exclusively, but often and frequent. Sure. Uh, Also, neurosurgeons, spinal cord injuries... And trauma can also cause, uh, endocrinologists see it for testosterone deficiency. Mm -hmm. Um, Rheumatologists can see it for Peyronie's disease.
0: Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Right. So if you have Peyronie's disease where you actually have um, scarring, basically, um, in one of the, I think it's in the Corpus Cavernosa um, and that's the one that's often associated with a sharp bend to the penis.
2: I can just hear the audience, at least half of them rinsing. <laughs> or, you know, some
0: of them who may be like, oh, that's what that is. You know, <laughs> um, yeah, it it can cause extreme curvature where sometimes they can actually get and maintain erections just fine, but they have different issues with actually, you know, having sex.
2: So the most common solution or treatment for this is, of course, these days, phosphodiesterase-5 inhibitors, such as Viagra, Cialis, um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: their respective trade names. And sure. those...
0: <laughs> no, no, no. Those are the trade names. The the respective... Oh, that's right.
2: Sildenafil generics. and... Tadalafil. Uh, yeah.
0: Tadafil?
2: Uh, S- Sildenafil and Tadafil, t- whatever. Anyway... Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> shall we google
2: as we, no nope. t- t- we've wait, got wait. too much to cover wait wait, wait.
0: tadalafil
2: Ta-da, La-fil. Yeah.
0: <laughs> josh you know you know that the person remember we talked about the people who named the generic drugs you know that they were high-fiving each other <laughs> uh, what about Ta da Yeah. Oh <laughs> Ta-da, it's
2: filled. <laughs> oh, all now, right. They sh- yeah. While yeah.
0: these
2: while these are certainly effective for a large variety of of people, um mm-hmm. it's still true that more than thirty percent of patients treatment with this medication. So Viagra, Cialis, ta da won't fill. Uh in in still up to thirty percent of people. So that's a sure. full third. However, other options do exist mm-hmm. um including you're gonna hear one that's very invasive and one not so much.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Including it, it, it's...
2: intracavernosal yeah, yeah. injections. Oh,
0: and, yeah, okay. yeah.
2: and vacuum erectile devices,
0: sure. oh, which is the penis pump. Yeah.
2: For men who fail all medical therapy, there are mm-hmm. surgical options, implantation of inflatable prostheses, kind of like the old Reebok uh, pumps, and, and they do represent a safe and highly effective treatment. So we're going to sure. talk about a lot of these, but before we get into any of them. I left you on a cliffhanger last week. Oh, I, yes, I might have edged the audience just a little.
0: Okay, okay.
2: And the very first of the attempts to treat erectile dysfunction or virility uh, was by increasing testosterone levels injecting testicular tissue. This came from the observation that there was a substance in the testicles that warded off dysfunction and the loss of vitality. Uh, The famous neurologist Charles Edward brown Sigard, from brown Sigard Syndrome first Mm -hmm. reported in 1889 injecting himself with dog testicle extract increased (laughs) his energy levels.
0: Fun fun self-experimentation
2: there. People then moved on from dogs to sheep testicles. The first attempt in internationally at testicular transplantation was, you may recall, Russian surgeon Sergei Voronov.
0: Love that name.
2: Who published uh, several papers advocating for transplanting monkey testicular interstitial cells to renew youth, decrease your wrinkles, increase your erection. Solve your breathing problems. Is there anything monkey testicles can't do? Not according, <laughs> to, not according to Dr. Voronoff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so this, you, you kind of see the lengths to which dudes will go to, to kind of regain that like weird, you know, that 20 year old vitality of that kind of a thing. Man, if we put this kind of energy into other pursuits, Josh,
2: right now let's return if you recall last week we talked about famous chicago uh titan of industry harold mccormick who had reserved a wing to himself with a well-known physician involved in testicular transplants lespinos and mccormick had undergone you know basically reporters would toss pebbles at the windows of the doctor lespinos's home late at night they wiretapped a phone call between the surgeon and his patient. <laughs> they intercepted a telegram that McCormick sent to his betrothed in Europe, and they paparazzied their way around nurses and orderlies for details.
0: Oh, this... I mean... Okay, it's... I understand what McCormick is going through in terms of what he wanted, and, you know sympathize with him a little bit Uh, definitely on the other side oh it can be funny but on the other side of things like this is horrible violation of privacy (laughs) that's really really bad
2: he denied he'd received any kind of testicular transplant and threatened to sue the papers for libel
0: Mm -hmm, Um, absolutely
2: when finally dr lespinance announced cryptically that McCormick had undergone surgery to revitalize wasted tissue. And the patient was feeling well. He did not deny that whatever this mysterious revitalization operation was had cost 50,000 in 1920s money, the equivalent of about 750,000 today. He denied transplanting human testicles into McCormick's scrotum. Uh, the specific phrasing was the story that any part of any other human body has been or will be used in the treatment of Mr. McCormick has not the slightest foundation in fact. Very fancy way of saying (laughs) fake news. Yeah. So the press moved on to the next logical explanation. Okay, testicles weren't from another man, but a monkey, a la Voronoff. Uh,
0: Okay, okay, because they had they knew about this already because of Voronoff's work had been published.
2: (laughs) This was a very hot topic at the time. You know, in Chicago, Max Thoric, founder of Thoric Memorial Hospital as well as the International College of Surgeons, wrote a medical reference book about testicles like a quarter of it concerns testicular transplants
0: <laughs> oh, okay all right he had a he had a uh, an agenda here
2: mccormick's surgery went well he went to paris two months after his operation to marry his lady love it was described okay. by a reporter there as younger more youthful rejuvenated Um, The marriage, of course, ended in 1931. Well, we'll just just leave it there.
0: I mean, it didn't end with somebody dying because, like, graft versus host syndrome from a testicle, did it?
2: Not at all. Lespinas had found a lot of success in transplanting testicles from cadavers and presumably live humans or monkeys by stripping them of the tunica vaginalis. That's the surrounding protective hard membrane. Uh, right around you know the the creamy center, as yeah, well okay. as the epididymis, and sectioned it into one millimeter slices. And place oh, that into the, into, into the abdominal into the the abdomin- abdominal. Into the abdominal into the abdominal muscles.
0: I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's like oh the abdominable testicle. <laughs> it probably was too.
2: He sections <laughs> these slices into the abs of impotent recipients. Sure. And then would attempt to ligate the dorsal penile vein. So close off the veins to kind of make a narrower channel.
0: Oh, Uh, so not close them off completely, but just, you know, uh, basically create back pressure
2: artificially. Right.
0: Got Uh, it, got it. Okay.
2: The first surgical intervention for erectile dysfunction following following that in McCormick was in 1935 by mm-hmm. O.S. Loseley in the very first penile placation procedure where, again, he had been working with animals and he plicated or separated the ischiocavernosis. I told you they're all Harry Potter spells. Yeah. <laughs> plicated okay. the ischiocavernosis muscle and shortened the bulbo spongiosis muscle. So he contra- he artificially contracted the muscle. So it would always be at least partially correct gotcha so uh, basically you know you you take this length of muscle and you forcibly contract it so you're already you know part of the way to where you want to be
0: sure okay so you're lowering the
2: activation energy so to speak i like that it's a good it's a good way of phrasing it so now that we have resolved the mystery which to this day remains unknown he you know All reports continue to deny, but Mm -hmm. there was two hospital beds at, at the McCormick surgery, both surrounded by drapes and with only one doctor and two nurses moving between them. So who knows? Maybe it was a Mm -hmm. monkey. Maybe it was a man.
0: Maybe it was nothing.
2: Now let's go back and talk about some of the less invasive. The first, of course, yes. the penis pump, it. as the penis pump, as made famous by Austin Powers. Oh
0: yeah, baby, yeah.
2: <laughs> no, no, it's not mine, baby. It's not. <laughs> this, this branded, this <laughs> branded me and my penile pump, but written That's... by Austin Powers. <laughs> How do do you suppose they work?
0: Um, Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: You described earlier a little bit of vacuum, and of course there have been urban legends and horror stories about people using vacuum devices for, for pleasure. Yeah. But how does that that. work (laughs) physiologically?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because there's, I mean, there's for pleasure. And then there is another one, which is Josh, you remember where we went over like the sperm harvesting machine was also, it used a little bit of vacuum as well. (laughs) This is really simple physics, right? So in order for, and it doesn't work perfectly well because the, the physiology doesn't match up all the way. So you've got blood flow to the penis kind of usually all the time. That's why your penis just doesn't fall off, right? It's, it's already getting blood flow. You have to stop it on the venous side in order for blood to pool. And then the tissues fill up and that's what you get, right? But You can potentially, okay, say that, okay, well, there is some pressure on the outside just from atmosphere, right? Just atmospheric pressure. And, You do have to kind of fight against that in order for the, you know, the, the corpuses to fill up properly. And if you reduce that atmospheric pressure from the outside, you could potentially lower the amount of pressure that's actually needed to, you know, fill the penis full of blood. It's not great thinking because you know everything here is encased in flesh so i don't know how the the direct atmospheric pressure really acts like that but so yeah you put a seal right so you have to seal the the long pump seals against your skin so against the base of your groin pump 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 you pump all the air out okay
2: um, the or it direction. could be a battery-powered pump too.
0: Or, or it could be a battery-powered. Exactly, the old ones were hand pumps, right? Pump, pump, pump like that, like your like your bike, <laughs> like your bike pump, only taking air out of the chamber instead of pumping air in.
2: A bicycle um, pump contains the exact same components as the mechanism. earliest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's just where the air goes. Exactly right. And then once you have that, like if you were to take that away, you could lose everything because you know now you have atmospheric pressure. Again again. So you usually have a rubber ring, like an elastic ring that's up around the pump that you slide backwards until it slides onto the base of the penis, just like the cock ring we talked about. And then that keeps the blood there the same way that the Cochrane did in ancient China and I guess modern times. Well,
2: presumably modern China as well.
0: (laughs) So the only major issue there, um, and actually you'll remember, uh, uh, our uh, physiology teacher talked about this, Josh, when we were in medical school, it'll, it'll flop because you don't have what you usually have, which is the penis that runs the, the muscle that runs all the way under the perineum to anchor that actually holds a thing erect, but it'll be full and potentially hard, but not standing up by itself. That's right. the problem.
2: So yeah. these mechanical and battery powered pumps are very easy to use, non invasive, but result in an erection that can last at best up to 30 minutes. Yeah. Importantly, there does not exist a pump on earth that can enlarge the size of the piece <laughs> regardless of what the internet promises you
0: mm-hmm. yeah just please don't it's just not yeah that's not how anything works
2: <laughs> equally yeah. important the constriction rings whether they are freestanding or part of these pump devices should Mm -hmm. not be left on for more than 30 minutes at a time to avoid penile injury. Uh, You're basically creating a tourniquet around your genitals. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) you don't want to leave that on for a prolonged period. Because do you know what tourniquets do? They stop (laughs) blood flow. (laughs) Well,
0: this is even scarier, right? Because you have pooled blood in one area and you've cut it off there. So not only is you know you're not getting fresh blood on there to actually oxygenate and get you know nutrients to the tissues so then the tissue starts to die but you're compressing those tissues with the blood so you're creating a a type of compartment syndrome which makes the tissues die even faster so the same kind of idea if you tied a tight rubber band around your, your finger
2: don't for do instance. that Don't do that. Oh, okay. You said finger, but still don't do that. that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, no, it's going to, ultimately there's going to be bad stuff that happens and there's a limited lifespan of these tissues. And Josh, I think it's fair to say that misuse of this equipment has resulted in permanent injury and in some rare cases like amputation, because if you get dead tissue, you can get infection and then that infection can start to track upwards (laughs) to the rest of the body and sometimes the only way to save it is to cut away the dead tissue (laughs) Uh,
2: now these devices are actually available over the counter at most pharmacies and uh adult entertainment stores aka smut Mm -hmm. peddlers um however (laughs) Some of the more complicated ones require a prescription, which people can get from their urologist or their family doctor. An mm-hmm. appropriately sized tube prevents skin and pubic hair from getting sucked into the tube without the need for a body shield.
0: Oh, right, right, right. Because otherwise, you you do have to set up something at the base so that it forms a, a seal. Uh, but yeah, you you there are all kinds of interesting tricks that they use nowadays so that yeah because if if you're creating negative pressure right you're you're taking away atmospheric pressure then you might be you know you're you're trying to do the thing that that it's supposed to do but then you're also like plucking hairs (laughs) which is not fun yeah uh
2: so now that we've covered pills and pumps wait,
0: unless you're into it i don't want to kink shame
2: We're really treading Sorry. on thin ice this whole episode. Like, Just, do
0: all of, we're, we're trying to be all inclusive. We have a very broad audience, Josh.
2: Now that we've covered pills and pumps, let's move on mm. to our third P, prosthetics.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's fair. I didn't know this episode would be this alliterative, but let's go for it.
2: <laughs> Might as well have fun with it.
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we did mnemonics in medical school, all alliteration and whatnot.
2: Yeah. So there are actually records of penile prosthetics dating all the way back to the sixteenth century when and France again, man.
0: (laughs) The city of love, man. Paris, absolutely.
2: Romance,
0: all that stuff.
2: Ambro Ambrose? Ambroise? (laughs) Ambroise. Yeah, him. And Blaise Paulet,
0: yes, exactly dude, you went full. who was that character in young Frankenstein,
2: <laughs> or it, it
0: might have been the bishop from uh, yeah, you're thinking
2: the bishop Princess from uh, yeah, you're thinking the yeah. bishop from. It, it, Wom? Wom. <laughs>
0: Ambrose paw Poway, <laughs> fashioned a penis out of wood
2: <laughs> for yeah. urination in a traumatic, <laughs> in a traumatic <laughs> amputation patient,
0: <laughs> like a peg dick. <laughs> R. <Arr. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> Josh, maybe, Josh. maybe it related
2: to a peg leg.
0: <laughs> Josh, you remember when we did the pirate episode and how it's all democratic and you can actually get hazard pay compensation for losing body parts? Do you think there was one for this one if you got a peg dick?
2: There 100% <laughs> would have been. <laughs> i encourage i encourage our (laughs) listeners to go back and find our talk like a pirate day episode uh, (laughs) because it's just pirate medicine was fascinating
0: it's driving me nuts (laughs) (laughs) so
2: prosthetics date back at least to the golden age of piracy uh late 16th (laughs) early 17th century and were mainly again just to serve as conduits for urination the the equivalent of uh Permanent suprapubic catheters, or little folies that come out of just below your belly button, in okay. folks who are unable to have uh, working genitals for any purpose, much less sexual ones. But f- so
0: this this is life saving, right? Because if you have backup of urine, uh, you know a, a urinary tract infection is not too far behind, and that's a killer.
2: Now, the first attempt, the first modern attempt at penile reconstruction was in the 1930s so you know they started with the balls and then worked the shaft um, <laughs> a german physician n.a borges is considered to have been the very first to engineer a prosthetic in 1936 that functioned not only as a conduit for urination but also could function for intercourse okay, and okay he used rib cartilage designed oh. to function like the penis of mammals with less well-developed erectile tissue than humans. Uh, things oh, like so, hyenas or... No, there's
0: a, there's a lots of these. So a lot of mammals have an os penis, a penis bone. And so the biggest one, Josh, if you ever wanted to like... Um, go to a museum of like natural history and hold one. Um, I think you can. Maybe the Henry Dorley Zoo is a seal penis bone. It's massive. Okay, so the, he's simulating a, an old school penis bone of of you know non simian mammals. That's
2: so cool. Yeah. So Borges created a non bogus uh, penis. Yeah. Fun with words penis bone. Um. Now he used this again on primarily soldiers with traumatic amputation injuries and he would use tissue expanding techniques which were had been pretty well developed during world war one uh use tissue expanding techniques to create a pocket for the placement of the prosthetic so then we move from germany over to russia and in 1944 ap frumpkin these names are just Perfect. They're they're perfect for That's awesome. yeah. every every name from Doctor Dick and Co. to Lespinasse to Borges. All of them, fantastic. But 1944, A.P. Frumpkin, a Soviet surgeon, published an article on his technique, where okay. he would take a flap from the abdomen, fashion okay. it into a tube, then place cartilage harvested from the eighth or ninth rib, the floating ribs. No, not the floating ribs. Eighth or ninth is higher. Yeah, these
0: are a little bit higher. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh,
2: And he would place them into the new, you know, tube that he had created. So that's how he made a new sort of os. He would create a flesh tube and stiffen it up with a rib. After about three to four weeks of recovery that tube would then be further divided to create a penis and a urethra. So he would then make those two channels. This was a really complicated surgery, even by today's standards, much less the 1940s.
0: That's, that's a lot of work.
2: And it would often only be effective for, on the low end, 18 months to the maximum four years, when the cartilage would simply fold in on itself or be absorbed by the body so he would okay. he would recreate in these traumatic or these traumatic penile injuries and amputations he would be able to give them a new penis but then he'd say this is going to expire in about a year you know there's <laughs> so if you'd like okay. to if you would like to pay for the warranty i can supply you
0: an endless subscription to warranty <laughs>
2: <laughs> Which is good because in the sense that the cartilage was not promoting any kind of graft versus host disease, it was taken from the same, You know, the, it was an autologous donation. The, the
0: same person to same person. Absolutely.
2: Right. You donate it to yourself, but your body would resorb that tissue. They'd say, hey, this isn't where it's supposed to be. Let me get to work on kind of taking it apart and putting it back to where it needs to go. So this was not really an ideal solution. And, you know, this is still back in the 1940s when we didn't really have pills and the pump was not great. You know, it's it's a solution. But as we mentioned, it's only a very temporary 30 minute solution. So Mm -hmm. now we hit the 1950s and 60s when Willard Goodwin and William Wallace, Scott, not William Wallace, are credited with placement of the first acrylic penile implants
0: oh okay all right so no no longer using tissue but um, plastics i guess
2: Mm -hmm. acrylics like you know like tupperware (laughs) Uh, (laughs) now as surgical techniques and scientific and scientific materials continue to advance through the 60s 70s and 80s we brought in the use of silicone as a surgical material which allowed for the rise of the inflatable implant.
0: Oh okay, balloons, sure.
2: Yeah, and the very first balloon was here we go, Egypt. Dr. GE Behari, an Egyptian <laughs> surgeon was the very first to use intracavernosal polyurethane rods, so inflatable little balloons Placed within the tunica albuginea, and he would inflate them after dilation. So, that last development in technology that led to the current intrapenile prosthesis can be mm-hmm. credited to, of all folks, NASA. Awesome. Which yeah, developed
0: absolutely.
2: a high grade silicone as part of the space program that was subsequently used by American doctors for penile implants. Yeah. Space Force.
0: <laughs> this is so awesome. So, we've got. Uh, Gore-Tex, which we use, well, or we did use for a very long time for patches and we've used them, you know, on the outside for actually preventing heat loss and because it's an inert material, you can use it for patches. Um, we talked about Playtex, Josh, uh, helping fit our astronauts for their suits, because, you know, they, they were the best at creating, you know, actually like body suits and that kind of a thing. And now we've got them contributing to, um, you know, helping get boners. That's good. Yeah.
2: So all it's, right. it's now a three-piece yeah. device with yeah. balloons you know, and NASA technology. Yeah.
0: And just- <laughs> also, all you people out there who is grinding your teeth and be like, oh, what's NASA good for? Your penis, that's what. So There.
2: So, it's a device composed of two inflatable silicone bodies, a reservoir and a control pump. And this yeah, is so the you're, long you're simulating term solution the two
0: Yeah, you're simulating the two corpus cavernosa, just like the same shape and everything.
2: Initially referred to as the inflatable penile implant when he began marketing the device, uh Dr. Brandt Chain or Dr. yeah, Dr. Brant change the name to the AMS 700. I feel like you should have gone 7000.
0: <laughs> oh, like like spinal
2: tap? Yeah, like you should like commit. If if you're just going to say like if you're going to give it an arbitrary number, get up there. Like, what do you have? <laughs> do you have an ordinary penis or do you have the AMS 7000?
0: Josh, I don't know whether it's going to be a short or something. I'm going to figure out where that 700 came from. I got to know. <laughs>
2: That's pretty much it on those. Now, we did talk briefly in our last episode on glands larceny
0: yes, about,
2: about modern-day testicular transplants. Okay, yeah. And I did just want to briefly follow up on, on some more of those surgical techniques. Uh, as we said, it had been transplanted from one twin to another, and that was because they were uh, apt absent a testicle, which is a very, very rare condition. Um, Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now we're, we are still talking about transplants, not inert prostheses, right? Because there is also uh, just putting an inert, you know, like a a silicone or something like that implant for kind of aesthetic reasons, even though it wouldn't be functional.
2: Right. And I I did just want to add on from those that, Here's the reason testicular transplantation remains challenging even from the 1920s to today because okay. once you remove the testicle from the donor, the clock starts ticking and you only have about two to four hours to have it reperfused and working again. Because without a blood supply, a testicle is viable for only four to six hours.
0: Wow. Oh, okay. All
2: right. And it can take a surgical team anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes to make. Each of the four major blood vessel connections—that's yeah, that's a piece. Is,
0: yeah, yeah, that's this is microsurgery, right? It's very fine, um, you know, connecting these teeny, teeny, tiny end blood vessels that feed the testicle, and you know, actually keep it viable if it's if it's going to survive in the um, the recipient.
2: So it's about anywhere from half an hour to an hour per vessel, and you've only you've got four vessels to do. And a Mm -hmm. max of six hours, a minimum of four hours. So really, the second you remove the testicle, it has to immediately start being reattached or the time runs out and you've uh, dropped the ball.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Time-sensitive issues. We've talked about transplant before, transporting kidneys, hearts, lungs, all these kind of things. There's no difference here. It's the same kind of thing. It's it's healthy, viable tissue, and you need to keep it that way in order to get it to the host in a working manner.
2: Now, doctors Cohen Bojovic, who were part of this testicular transplant, I mentioned because they also performed the very first penis transplant in the United States. In you want to guess what year? We actually covered it when it happened, but it's a nice little oh. callback.
0: Was this the 1940s post-war?
2: No, 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 no. This was in our lifetimes, man. This, this was, I know it oh. feels like a lifetime ago. Oh, sorry,
0: sorry, sorry. Uh, oh, God. 98, 99? 2016. To the, oh, really recent.
2: I know okay. a century ago, it feels like. Yeah. But the first <laughs> the, penis the long, transplant.
0: Long time ago, yes.
2: <laughs> the very first penis transplant in the United States was in 2016 on a man whose penis had been removed because of cancer. Uh, right. Now, all of this is actually becoming very interesting as we look more and more into the developing field of transgender or sex reassignment surgery. Uh, mm-hmm. Because Traditionally, when someone is undergoing sex reassignment, they take tissue from well uh, flesh from an arm or the abdomen, and they create a penis from the patient's own tissue. However, if they could start doing more transplants, you don't let organs go to waste essentially
0: yeah, yeah, so you know, like we were talking about uh it, a couple of episodes back, actually not too far ago, so when you go to a person who has donated. They don't donate an organ. They donate their organs. So there's going to be teams of people who, yeah, are going after the things that we think about, like kidneys, lungs, livers, all of those. But you're also going all the way to like cartilage and eyes and corneas. And yes, absolutely, if you can preserve the tissue, testicles, penis, etc.
2: So the lead surgeon on that study, uh, Dr. Jordjevic, said he has now developed a surgical plan for transplanting a penis onto a body that is anatomically female and has intentions to begin performing those kinds of surgeries within the next year or so to, again, make the most use of donated organs. However, has been very clear about saying uh, he at least will not transplant testicles as part of transgender surgery uh, because it opens up the possibility that the recipient could potentially have children produced by the donor's sperm.
0: Got it. And this is, we're running into this a lot now, Josh, in terms of not only transplant, but genetic technology for correcting diseases and that kind of a thing. Basically, you're taking the will or the volition of future people, uh, and you're you're basically altering that permanently or taking that away. So that's, in order to go through this kind of a thing and for it to work, it would have to go through very, very good ethical tests and make sure it passes all of those before anything like that ever happened.
2: Well, not to mention, if you're transplanting somebody else's testicles, you don't have your own sperm to create, so it's not your genetic material being passed on into those offspring it's they are right. carrying fo- and you don't know what the deceased person's wishes were in right, regards right. to their dna they had given permission to their organs they had not given continuous consent to their genetic material their, uh, unless uh, yeah, of course they were foolish enough to sign up for one of those dna testing things where you sign your <laughs> rights away no 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 <laughs> so uh that's it i guess we, we've covered a lot of yeah. the many ways that yeah. erectile dysfunction. And I bet you thought this was all just going to be, you know, an hour long talk about Viagra. So, surprise! Yeah.
0: No, no. I'm, I'm so proud of, you know, how we stretched this out.
2: Of our remarkably uh, mature episode, given, yeah, the, yeah. given the subject matter.
0: Yeah, yeah. We filled our time. Uh, we, we, weren't, just,
2: of- we <laughs> weren't just jerking you around, audience. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I think especially in terms of a lot of worries, consternations, questions, I think we got ahead of a lot of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so
2: that's it for this week. As yeah. always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links to further reading on some of these studies.
0: <laughs> Please this- do. It's actually historically speaking, Josh. It's a, there's a lot of fun and interesting articles in there. I really, I, I love
2: this reading list for this episode, and they are all safe for work. The studies it (laughs) may destroy your Google search history for a while.
0: Well, that's why you don't have to Google search history. You can just, you know, click on the links here and it'll go straight to like a scientific paper. So it won't mess around with your Google search.
2: This show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santosh and friends. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. And until next time, as always, wear a mask, get your shot, stay safe, (laughs) find a country that will take you. And once you've done all of those things, happy travels.
0: Goodbye, everybody.